1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates National Average 12 Month Savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
2: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or Mc Sandwich. But you're the Filet-O-Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun—yeah, you get it every time.
0: And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined
1: with
2: any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba.
1: Allen, under center, sneaking. I do not make that. I do not know. Let's see where they spot it. He did not make that. We got it. it. They got it. They did it. They did it. Yes.
3: Not yes. Not yes. Hell yes.
1: Not yes. Hell yes. That's our kind of call. Tuesday edition. Pro Football Talk Live. Chris Sims is back. I never went anywhere. and. I appreciate everyone out there, Chris, who expressed concern over my injury from yesterday. Are you aware of my injury from yesterday, my pregame injury? I'm I was not- injured during pregame warm-ups, literally shower warm-up.
3: D- uh, yesterday morning, before before the morning show, or like pft PM? Yes. I am not aware of this at all. What happened? Well, I
1: was running late to get into the shower. Yeah. And I turned the water on. And I like to let the water get hot. It gets hot faster if you're calling it through the, the main spigot instead of through the shower. I've learned over time gotcha, it gets okay. hotter faster. So I turned it on, and, and I, was, I, I was hurt. I was late. I was late. It's my own fault. I was late. And I pulled the shower door shut so it would you know close up against the front end of the shower. It's got the two sliding doors. And I didn't get my head out of the way in time. And the shower door hit me in the temple, or like right here, and I was immediately swollen like Rocky in Rocky One, and uh, and it hurt like hell, and it still is painful to the touch, so I just don't touch it. And thanks to the wonders of makeup, the shiner is concealed. So it happened like fifteen minutes before the show yesterday. Okay, and, I, c- uh, I can
3: kind of see it as you're sitting here. I feel like you can see a little bit of a swollenness there, but all right, yep. Yeah, don't let the don't let the door hit you on the temple on the <laughs> <Yeah>. way out <laughs>
1: no fractured eye socket that i'm aware of uh and uh i appreciate everyone out there who has expressed concern both genuine and sarcastic i'm not quite sure what the percentage is <laughs> yeah, because sure. sarcasm doesn't always come through well but i am fine thanks for the hear. well wishes Good thanks for hear. the makeup you not concussion? NBC they didn't or- put
3: you a concussion protocol or anything like that you're okay there you know I've had, I've had, and I don't want to
1: make light of concussions, obviously, but I've had five or six of them in my life. Yeah. I never had one playing tackle football. They're all from other stuff. Right. I fell in the shower once and smacked my head against that stupid railing that's there to create a bath as if anyone ever takes baths anymore. So I smacked my head on that and had a concussion. I got a concussion playing touch football. I got a concussion playing basketball. I got a concussion when I was five years old and took a header off the basement steps onto the concrete floor, which was very scary for the adults, as you may imagine, and may explain many things about what I have become with my life. 100%. But yeah, n- never, never during like real football. So, yeah, gotcha. uh, I, and, but yesterday, yesterday was just painful. Yesterday was a yell out some of Chris Sim's favorite words type of moment That's because it, it. yeah, it, it 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 just surprised me. It was a what in the was that. Type of a type of a thing. And I had to keep going. Had to keep going. Had to get...
3: What do you c- got, Trooper? Couldn't sit
1: down and ice it. No no bag of peas for me. I had to get up here and do the show. All right, we have a show to do. How are you, by the way? We I'm doing you good. I'm great. I didn't, days, I didn't bump didn't. my
3: head, even though it may look swollen or whatever else. I'm good here. It's all normal look, so I'm, I'm doing well. Thanks, Slugger.
1: You are the man with the small head. I am the man with the swollen head. <laughs> and hello to Eleanor. Go to bed, Eleanor, if you're up, because it's... After your bedtime in the UK. Hello to everyone out there who's enjoying the program. We're going to get right to it. Week six in the books. We'll pivot to week seven later in the week. It's just rocketing by. And last night, obviously, all that. and, And, you know, it's a shame when an exciting game with 65 total points comes down to one moment. But sometimes it happens. We invest the three hours in the hopes that we have that one moment that will inspire us or frustrate us or otherwise give us stuff about which we can talk well into the next day. And that was the moment you saw at the top of the show, the failed fourth and very short call by the Bills to not kick the field goal, to try to get the first down, and inevitably try to win the game with a touchdown. Let's hear from Coach Sean McDermott and from the guy who had the opportunity to secure the first down, Bills quarterback Josh Allen.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're this far from, from winning the game. <laughs> and uh, I owe that to my players. And, um, you know, I believe in my players. I believe in our quarterback. Um, so I trust my guys. Uh, obviously, we didn't get it done in this case, um, but I trust my players.
3: Didn't work out in our favor, obviously. Didn't have the greatest footing. Um, it happens. Game of, inch- game of inches. You uh, the gate, the the play before was pretty close too. Um, didn't turn out in our favor today.
0: You know felt, you know, hey, if we're that far from potentially winning the game right there, it was the best thing we could do. Uh, we hadn't stopped them on defense um, for for a number of drives there in the second half, really. So, um, but again, felt felt like we could go and win the game right there, and uh, obviously didn't get it done.
1: Okay, I. I... Look, we're going to talk about this for a while, and, yeah. and I'm not going to pretend to have a crystal ball, and I'm not going to make any absolute positions on here because I just don't know what should have been done there. But I want to explore both sides of it. Yeah, okay, let's do I think do it's that. fair. Sure. We, we live in a world where far too many things are unfairly both-sided. Right. This is one that can fairly be both-sided. And, and let's start with this idea that I trust my players. Because as Sean McDermott is saying in one breath, I trust my players, he makes it clear... He doesn't trust half of his players. He trusts his offensive players, and he doesn't trust his defensive players to hold firm in overtime if the Titans win the toss. that That's the key here. He trusts some of his players. And so as much of it is an endorsement of Josh Allen and the rest of the offense, it's an indictment of what his defense was doing that night. Not a blanket overall indictment, that they stink and they're going to give up 34 points every game, but they couldn't stop the Titans in the second half last night. Yeah.
3: So for as much as he trusted his offense,
1: he did not trust his defense, and that was part of it, Chris. Well,
3: sure, it is. I you know, I think what he's saying that first off, he's just telling you, he's trusting the guys out on the field in that situation as it pertains to the game right there. I mean, you're, how can he trust his defense? How can he? We saw, we saw the Bills kryptonite last night for the first time, the team that we thought was the best team in football. We thought maybe they fixed their woes of like, you know, being overpowered by a big running physical football team. And that was not the case last night. But so I understand him going for it there. You know, you're right. I mean, yes, he doesn't trust his defense. His defense gets that. They know what happened last night. They went, oh, damn, that sledgehammer, Derrick Henry, when he started to go off in the second quarter, the game changed. It was never the same after that. And then it got to the point, too, now where, right, Buffalo had to play the hand of, wait, we got to stop Derrick Henry and load the box. And it ignited, of course, the passing game in Ryan Tannehill that went on fire in the fourth quarter. So I have no issue with the decision, you know, at all. I mean, to me, one of the funny things, and Pete brought this up before, before we even went on the show, and I was going to say, too, we don't even, like, really think twice about second-guessing coaches in these situations anymore. I mean, that's where it's just gone crazy to me. But, like, I have no problem with, again, Mike, you and I talk a lot about, like, reading the game, you know, having a gut for how you feel on the sidelines. Forget the numbers. I think the gut would tell you, man, overtime – if they get the ball first, they might just smash it down our face and we might lose the game right off the bat. And that's where I'm not going to fight back about the decision or at least McDermott's thought process. But you're you're not wrong in the fact that he doesn't trust the defense there.
1: And here's another side of it, too. Yeah. McDermott says we have that far to go to win the game. Right. And we need to be fair to the circumstances. They were not defending the goal line. It would have been a first down yep. with less than 30 seconds on the clock. Right. You still got to get into the end zone 100 so 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 you know I, and I understand that the analytics crowd and I'm not saying this in a demeaning way there are all sorts of factors that come into play here but we have to remember they were still more than two yards away from pay dart this was not if you convert you automatically win you extend the drive and you still have to score and maybe you will and maybe you won't and on the other side of it if you go for the field goal you still have to put it through the uprights now from the two-yard line, it's an old-school extra point, which almost was never missed. It's too close. Even if you're trying to shank it, it doesn't have a chance to go far enough either way to miss the uprights because right. it's right there in your face. But what comes next, we'll never know. Would they have still scored from inside the two? I don't know. They didn't have a whole lot of time to do it. What were they going to do? What was their play call? Did they like what play calls they had left? if they had gotten that first down, apparently they did or they wouldn't have gone for it, but let's not boil it down to an automatic win. If they get it
3: because they still had to get into the end zone. No, I I hear you there too. You're right. And, and listen, we saw all night, you know, and this is the beauty of football. I mean, listen, I, I don't, I'm not trying to be a jerk here. Hey, I think the lesser team was still the Tennessee Titans, but they were in that game and won that game because of situational football. Because Mike Vrabel and the defense and company held Josh Allen the Bills to field goals early on in the football game. So I'm with you there, Mike. I'm not ready to just say they were going to score a touchdown you know, either way. What they would have had is I would, I would think at least three opportunities, and they had one timeout left, to where I would think you're going to give the ball to Josh Allen and let him throw the ball. And have those opportunities to score the touchdown and then maybe if you don't get on those three opportunities, you you go for it on fourth and the win too. So you're gonna put the ball in Josh Allen's hands four times inside the, you know, three yard line there. Hey, I I I like my chances. I do if I'm if I'm Sean McDermott. Again, it's one of the better players in in all of football and we know how dangerous he is, like off schedule. And I think that's where, you know, I just get to you know, again, the play call itself, you could start to get into that. Just a quarterback sneak. You know, Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans obviously had a good feel for what was coming there. They were not, like, not prepared. And I think when you add all that together, I mean, hey, Mike, I'm with you there. I'm with you, but I'm not going to be mad at Sean McDermott for going for it. Certainly not. Uh, I will question a little bit. Quarterback sneak, your your offensive line hasn't necessarily won the battle all night long um but you do have a two hundred and forty five pound quarterback. So listen, we can Monday morning quarterback that a little bit, but again, I don't I'm not gonna go crazy on that that, that call either.
1: L- let's take a look at yeah, that if we sorry, can, I said a because lot there. they try they, no, you're fine. Yeah. They tried to get cute. They they set up in shotgun. Yes, right. And then tried Josh Allen rushed it. to the line, right, took the snap, and tried to force his way through. Right. And and, and that falls into the cute category, and that's fine. That's fine. But when you have an offense like the Bills, see, he walks up like he's doing something. Well, it's like, oh, you know what yeah. the hell? I'm going to take the snap. No doubt. And I, don't get cute when you've got Josh Allen. You don't have to get cute. You shouldn't have to get cute. I'd rather have the ball in his hands, shotgun formation, let him move around Wild a little bit. Bat, type bat, of see if run, he finds maybe, a guy open like yeah, or right. run it. sure, like he, like he did on the prior play well, when he almost got the first down when he, when he leaped. And it looked like, I don't know why they didn't measure it. I don't It either. looked awfully damn close. Right that at least you, you pull out the sticks and see if he got the first down. But but I always like multiple options. You make it one option, one chance when you do that. You get kind of cute, and which tells me you got concerns about running a traditional quarterback sneak against that defense. So we're going to have to catch him off guard. Right. Well, you know what? You didn't catch him off guard. So uh, I, I would have preferred to see a shotgun snap and Josh Allen with – with chances to make magic that way, than
3: than bullet up the middle. Yeah, uh, listen, I, I I hear you there. I, like, listen, I, all your points make sense to me, definitely. And, and and hey, they were trying to get cute. Where where I didn't know if they would definitely do it. I wish we could show. Could we go back and show the play one more time, guys in the back? Just because t- to to the the like to your point with the shotgun. One, I did not think he was going to call the quarterback sneak, especially like rewind it a little bit there if we can, guys. The, the defensive line squeezed down right here. Like, hey, here comes quarterback sneak. That's where I was like, oh, well, they're not going to run the quarterback sneak. Obviously, the Tennessee Titans are ready for it. But it must have been an already you know preordained play. It was all just window dressing to do, hey, we're going to do the quarterback sneak. Bottom line. And, again, they hadn't been able to run the ball the traditional way all night. I'm I, listen. This is the only thing to me you can second guess. I'm not going to second guess Sean McDermott going for it, but certainly when a night when you haven't overplayed or beat the defensive line and the run game a whole lot, and now they've played a defensive formation that looks like they're ready for that quarterback sneak. Hey, we could second guess that a little bit, but I'm not going to go too crazy there either. I'm very intrigued now. Can we
1: show yeah. it one more time, control yeah. room? Because there's a chicken and the egg thing here. <laughs> Oh Pete says Pete says we can't See, show it again. We've reached our contractual limit and he's joking. Now they, they moved into that look before yeah. Josh Allen started walking down. So it's not like they they, they sensed something from film study. That was my first thought when when we saw them shift in. Something made them shift in. They they guessed right. Because they were immune to something that would have gone off-tackle in that position. Or, you know, they put the strength of their defense right in the middle as Josh Allen's walking up. And it's almost like he didn't notice the shift. Because he was trying to sell this idea that I'm not really coming up to snap the ball, I'm looking around. I wonder if he didn't see the
3: defensive lineman shift to the middle and what he would have done if he did. I I know. Well, honestly, like to your point, Mike, I don't think this was – I think this was a shift of – you know, movement really to get Buffalo to jump off sides. That's what I really think it was. One of those, like you know, where the defense yells "move" and they do it like that, hoping to like simulate the snap count a little bit to get the offensive line to jump off sides. And maybe now you go, "Oh gosh, we can't go for it," or if we do go for it, it's a six yard, you know, uh, fourth and six instead of that instead of uh, uh, inches. So I do think it was that aspect, but you're right. I mean, to me, it doesn't look like he had the option to me. It looked like it was just preordained. It was all like, hey, we're shotgun. You're right. Bob, Bob, am not going to really snap. It said hut. Uh, but Jeffrey Simmons, he blows up the gap between the left guard and the left tackle. And that's that. And then, of course, Josh Allen loses his footing. And that's how you lose a football game on the road. And that was a lot of fun to watch. I'll say that it was an awesome game.
1: The Bills did have a timeout left, but they had yeah. just used one, so they couldn't have used it again. Right. They had used one before that same play. The t- Well, so wait, the Titans used it after. Right after when they saw the alignment. Works, if you can go back and forth with multiple timeouts. But regardless, Josh Allen took the snap. Josh Allen did not get it. And he kind of slipped, too. That's part of it. It's not just the conceptual notion of do you go for it or do you kick the field goal. There's other things that fall under that that drive the outcome. And one of the things that drove the outcome was he kind of slipped once he got the ball. He didn't get a chance to launch the six-foot, seven-inch frame forward yeah. the way that he he wanted to. Because really, if all he did was fall straight down, he's getting the first down. But he kind of slipped and his legs went out from under him, and it kept him from from getting that push forward. Because if, if you'd have laid out the scenario for me ahead of time as to what they were going to do, even though I think it was a little bit cutesy, I would have assumed he was going to get the first down. Like, yeah, I, I, got I thought when he took the snap, right. he's getting the first down. So it's hard for me to say exactly. they shouldn't have done right. it right. because I thought he was getting the first down. Yeah,
3: I, I'm with you there. Again, that's why I don't think we can really second-guess Brian Dayball or McDermott here. It didn't work out in their favor. Okay. You know, Buffalo's M.O. all year has kind of just been attack, pressure, pressure, pressure. We're coming, we're coming, we're coming. Just eat it. See if he can stop it. That's what they do. And, and like... I don't know what the numbers say, but I would think that quarterback sneaks with Josh Allen, he's towards the top of the league since he's entered the NFL. He's definitely one of the best red zone runners uh, as far as quarterbacks are concerned out of all quarterbacks in football. I mean, his stats I know are up there in that, that department, And let alone we know he's a big, powerful, athletic guy. So that's where it is hard to second-guess the decision all in all, especially with the timeout. I get it from McDermott's standpoint. I get it from Brian Dayball's standpoint. The only problem was they didn't block it, execute it the right way. Vrabel and company were prepared. And I think it was one more inkling of like Vrabel and the defensive side had a good feel for the Bills' offense of what they wanted to do for a lot of the night. And even though they scored 31 points, it wasn't an easy 31 points. Josh Allen and company had to work for it, that's for sure.
1: Leave that graphic up. Leave that graphic up. I'm very intrigued by this. And this goes to the point that you made earlier, Chris, via Pete. We don't criticize coaches when they do this anymore. It used to be if you did the conventional thing and it failed, you never got criticized. If you did the unconventional thing and it failed, you were criticized and criticized. And if you did it enough times, you were fired. Right. This is an official NFL account. Next Gen Stats on Twitter. The Bills' decision to go for it on fourth and inches from the Titans, three trailing thirty-four to thirty-one. It was more like the two was unequivocally the optimal call according to the NGS decision guide. I think unequivocally is probably the wrong term. Unequivocally would be one hundred to zero. It, it was, it was slanted in the favor of going for it. I wouldn't say it was unequivocally because you could have kicked the field goal. And and here's the here's the other reality. We now have a data point that would suggest you shouldn't go for it in that situation. And I don't know how much every additional instance of going for it in a situation where you're you're supposed to to go for it and you fail, how much that starts moving the needle. But I, I, I sense this big picture statistical tug of war where every iteration Moves the rope a little bit this way, or moves the rope a little bit this way. But this would be an instance where, as it gets added to the pile of circumstances and data and formula, it would say maybe you shouldn't have gone for it because you didn't
3: get it. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I hear you, I hear you. But I think in the world of science and numbers, when there's a 21 percent difference, that's when they say unequivocally. I, I'm guessing. I'm with you there. Hey, listen, there is the argument to be made of like, hey, we think we're the better football team, so we're just going to extend the game and keep playing. But I don't know if they were the better team right there at that moment of the game, late in the fourth quarter. Like McDermott said, their defense was struggling; they were getting worn down a little bit. So were they the better team at that point? I don't know. That's that's debatable. I mean, Tannehill, you know, tore them up the series before. The series before that, it was, you know, Derek Henry's sledgehammer runs all the time. So, uh, again, I think we just saw really what happened was a great game where we had a lot of great plays going back and forth. What, we tied the all-time lead changes for a Monday night football game, right? Yep. We saw everything last night. I mean, we saw turnovers. We saw magical throws by Josh Allen. We saw... The most unbelievably big, fast human being I've ever seen in my life run over people and then pick up speed and run away from everybody. Uh, So it was a great game, and it just came down to a big situation, and Tennessee won. They got million-dollar football players over there, and uh, sometimes we we can't forget that, too. I want to give Derrick Henry his due praise in a
1: moment, but I still want to continue to focus on the dynamics within a football organization that have gotten us to the point where not only is it okay – To put all eggs in one basket on fourth and short and avoid the safer, at least superficially safer play and take the tie. Because of the presence in each and every team now of an analytics department led by an analytics guru who spends a lot of time with the owner, and we've used this Comparison before this is Costanza picking up the calzones and sitting with Steinbrenner for lunch every single day. This is someone who is very close to the owner and helps the owner understand the game like the owner has never understood it before. And you have to answer to the owner now when you ignore something like the tweet we saw from Next Gen Stats. If Sean McDermott goes. For the field goal and loses, he's got to deal with all these numbers that made it clear that your win probability dipped under 50%. If you would kick the field goal and, you know, you don't know you're going to win the toss and your defense is gassed and you've got Derrick Henry, you've got to deal with an owner now who is far more informed and far less likely to be bamboozled by a big personality coach who wants to blow into the room and just charisma the owner into accepting what the coach did. And that dynamic applies when it comes to those micro decisions, and it deals with the macro realities of a football team now. The coaches are no longer able to BS the owners the way they used to. And that's a fascinating shift in how football teams operate because basically the analytics guy is the little Jiminy Cricket who's whispering into Pinocchio's ear about what the reality is and so the owner is the one now who is in a much better position to push back against a coach who tries to come in and 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 football talk his way through one of these situations. And that's why you're not just forgiven
3: for doing it; you're expected to do it because of the tweet that we showed. Well, there's definitely more pressure along those lines, no doubt. Is there more like of a you know a, a want to? We have to use this because we have the analytics department and. You know, it's part of the game now. I mean, definitely there is that pressure. Now, like to what you're saying, I I don't know if that goes on in every organization where the analytics guy gets to be like free access to the owners. I do think there's some teams like that. I don't know if that's the way it is in Buffalo. I'd like to think it's not. I'd like to think that the owner there goes, hey, Sean McDermott's really smart and he's a damn good coach and he listens to the analytics. And he also uses a little bit of his own, you know, yeah, he's not Italian like you, his pasta and meatballs gut, but his, you know, his steak and potatoes gut to to feel the game out a little bit. And you're right, it has I think empowered the owners to think they know more or they have a better understanding of the game there. Um, so so there there is that aspect there is, but I I, I do think you got to be careful if your ownership or anybody else micromanaging a guy like Sean McDermott who who does know what he's doing. I mean, he manages football games. Uh, ever since he's taken over Buffalo about as good as I've seen in football so this is no idiot and I'm with you I mean listen I like analytics but I don't think it's the end all be all that's for sure I'll say that much Uh, but it certainly has a powerful place in the NFL right now and it's very powerful to to your point to people that might not know the X's and O's of football to a degree and this makes them feel like they know more.
1: And I know analytics have been around for a long time, but they haven't been around to the point where they are now where you have these kinds of specific formulas that tell you to go for it under circumstances where when we were growing up, you in the 80s, me in the 70s, you never went for it there. You took the three. And if you went for it and you didn't get it, you had hell to pay from the press, from the fan base, and from your owner because you should have taken the three and gone to overtime. Something I thought of this morning – Chris, there's a, a reason to just get out of dodge one way or the other because it's Monday night. You don't want to play another 10 minutes. It was a tough physical game. Yeah, it was. And I thought, well, you physical. know, the Bills are on a short week. They got to play on Sunday, but they're buys this week. And I I, I just, I, again, I, I don't know how you quantify those things, but beyond the moment, there's a broader analysis that needs to be done when it comes to managing your team and keeping your guys at the optimum level of performance and if you're ever going to have a 70-minute Monday night game the perfect time to do it is the last game before you're by yeah and I just wonder whether that was considered in deciding to not kick the field goal because if you do kick the field goal yeah you're going to play a longer game but at the same time you get the week off to to recover from it and that would that would be another little grain of rice in favor of of not worrying about having an extended
3: game on a Monday night. Sure, sure. I I mean I I hear you there. I hear you. I mean you, you're right. You could go all out. Let's play another quarter. Who cares? But I think you know reading the tea leaves, which I do think Sean McDermott was doing, and again just staying within the the mantra of their football team, especially. Hey, we know the defense is is great, and it's you know the still the top ranked defense in football this year. But I, I, I still the the star of the show is the offense and the fact of how much pressure their offense puts on another team. And of course, you could argue that they got the best player in football with Josh Allen. I mean, he's in a short list with with that crew, you know. So I I, I again I I can't second guess it a whole lot there, and especially when your defense. You know, your team lost the time of possession battle in the second half and was was getting worn down on the defensive side of the ball. I don't think there's any doubt about that. They were a little bit like, which way did it go? Which way did it go? Is it Derrick Henry? Oh, it's play action. It's A.J. Brown. They were getting hit from both sides with haymakers. And I think from that standpoint, I, I totally understand McDermott, again, going for it and trying to win it right there with Josh Allen. One
1: last observation and yeah. something that just occurred to me, and I don't know that I've ever articulated this before, but one reason that I have resisted this full and complete embrace of analytics in football is it really does further convert players into robots. And it it strips the human element out of the game. And they already look like robots in their uniforms. And... We already have kind of a culture in the NFL where it's next man up and it's we root for the laundry and the hell with the players if the players want something that the owner doesn't want to give them. And this is just one more thing that makes it less human and less personal. And it is a very human game. And there are ways to achieve a higher level of performance based upon the inspiration that you feel in the moment, your ability to fight through whatever pain or exhaustion you're dealing with. And I just feel like we lose a little bit of that When we try to reduce it to a mathematical formula, I think that's why I've always had a little bit of a resistance to the whole thing, right? Because the human drama and the, and the human achievement of football and everything that goes into it, we need to remember that. And when we reduce it to this tweet from the NFL next gen stats account, it's, it's not, it's not a cash register. And, and and that's what that's what just irks me. Well, yeah. And I, I I've have come to the point where I can just accept it and try to compartmentalize it. But I hope other people will as well and understand that these are still humans and and every situation is different, like a snowflake. Well, yeah, I, and, I, I hear you there. And I, and, there. And, and, and I just I, I I hope we never get
3: to the point where we lose sight of that. Well, no, but it, we're just in the era right now where it's you know aggressive over being a chicken. That's all that matters. Aggressive, 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 aggressive. Nobody cares. Hey, they were trying to be aggressive. They went for it. That's okay. That's cool on social media. They were aggressive. That word plays. Chicken, afraid, what are you doing? Doesn't play. Everybody pile on. Look at this chicken. He's a wimp. He didn't go for it. That doesn't play on social media. That's where the world has gone to a degree. I mean, at least in my eyes, nobody second guesses it anymore that way. And yeah, we don't second guess a ton of fourth down decisions and things that go on across the NFL now that don't even get talked about during the week. Where you go, you know why? Eh, but you know why? Yeah. You know why? If why? you
1: second guess and then you have the analytics mob up your ass. No, exactly That's why right. You're not allowed to say it. You're
3: not allowed to say it. Yeah. You're exactly right. You're going and because then it goes like like here we go. Oh, the numbers all year show this. Okay, well the numbers are also influenced by like teams that are severely better than a lesser team, and they went for it. You know, as they were kicking the crap out of that team, and yeah, they made it. So that, yes, I mean, I'm with you. I hope we don't lose that aspect either. Uh, but I feel like that's where we are, at least with the the psychology of the whole situation in our world right now. One final, very important point
1: that I'd never really thought of until you said it just now. But what did the chicken ever do to be the go to animal to 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 compare someone who is afraid to? It's a, just a chicken, just plucking around the yard, right? Right. Trying to protect itself. Right. I mean, it's 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 survival instinct. It's not fear. It's wired that no, way. No, what no, did the no. chicken ever do no, to be actually, that
3: animal? I can I can see now. This is where when you own six chickens, I can give you a little clue here. <laughs> good, okay. No, all right, good. Okay. Here we go. A chicken when. It does get to the point where, oh, it's running around. It will lay down and go, I give up. Go ahead. Eat me. Do whatever. Because I've saved the neighborhood dog from doing it before. And he was about to eat my chicken, and my chicken had given up. He got close, and she was just going to lay down and go, okay, it's time. He's going to bite me. It's over. So I'm guessing that's where it came from, but I don't know that. <laughs> Listen, that,
1: that, that – that chicken that Rocky was chasing in Rocky 2 must have had. This is too Rocky reference. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, must you? have had some sort of steroid shot into it or something because it didn't lay down. Yeah, you're it right. drove it the rock crazy. It did. Crazy. It did. He felt like a Kentucky Fried idiot, if you recall. <laughs> um, and one, one more thing. What's wrong with this picture when the guy who lives in
3: Connecticut has chickens and the guy in West Virginia <laughs> that doesn't? is very true, too. I was actually thinking that. Isn't it weird that the guy in Connecticut has got <laughs> chickens and the guy in West Virginia doesn't? What the hell is going on All here? right.
1: Uh, chickens would be laying down everywhere if Derrick Henry came running. He was phenomenal last night with 143 rushing yards. And not one, not two. But three touchdowns. Let's hear from Derrick Henry on the 76 yard shot out of a cannon touchdown that really first made us think that the Titans had indeed shown up to play on
2: Monday night. Yeah, you see how big, big my eyes got? But no, nah, but nah, man, they did a great job blocking. And um, I just seen the hole and hit and got north and south and um, got a TD. I don't know if you realize it or not, but your miles per hour, you were 21.8. That's the fastest. By any ball carry this, this year. Still what is it slow. about you in Overfield? Like, Still where, too slow. Still where, too slow. Where does the speed come from? Uh, I'm from Florida, so Florida boys, it's, it's in the water. So from Florida, you go, you, you gotta have speed.
1: <laughs> it, it was funny, and 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 I love the guys on Monday Night Football. But Steve Levy acted like there was actually any doubt he may go all the way. No, he's gone. He's when he got through the second level, there was no maybe. The gap was getting larger, not smaller. This was not he could go all the way. It was he could run all the way to the nearest ocean if he wanted to. No one. Look
3: at that right there. It's gone. It's done. There's no maybe. There's no could be. He's gone. Gone, Chris. Yeah, uh, he's he's special. I mean, we're looking at an all-time great running back. I mean, truly, the short list of all-time greats to what he does, how dependable he is. I mean, they're riding him to death week after week after week. And the way they ride him and the way he's playing, I mean, it's changed the way we viewed their football team over the last few weeks. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Going, oh, I don't know about Tennessee. I mean, oh, man, they lost to the Jets. Things aren't looking good. Defense isn't that special. They kind of get the run game going. Defense improves just a little bit. And all of a sudden, we're sitting here and going, damn, you know, we're ready to count Tennessee out. And now you start to go, okay, here they go. Maybe Mike Vrabel's got them together here. And they're going to start, you know, getting hot and be the team that we, we thought they might be before the year, you know, and, and it really, it all starts with him. It really does. It changes. Buffalo has to play a certain style and a certain defense. That's, that's risky that you don't necessarily want to play when you get gashed like that. And that changed the game from that standpoint on, from that standpoint, that point on, that changed it. Because now Buffalo knew, whoa, we got to load the box every now and then. We got to really put one more egg into the stop the run basket, and that got Ryan Tannehill and company in rhythm, and, and it was never the same.
1: Now it's funny how quickly narratives change yeah. during the course of a season. Back in Week One, when yeah. the Titans got destroyed and dismantled at home by the Cardinals, thirty-eight to thirteen, Derrick Henry had seventeen carries for fifty-eight yards. Yeah. And immediately, as we dramatically overreact to the only data point that we have for the 2021 season, what happened the first week, it's like, mm, well, maybe Derrick Henry's finally hitting a wall. Maybe he's finally going to have the Eddie George moment where there wasn't any one specific injury for the last great Titans running back. He just got to a point where he couldn't do it anymore. Well, since then, how about this, Chris? 182, 113, 157, 130... And 143. Yeah. And he's on pace. And remember, there's 17 games in the season, so he gets an extra opportunity to bump it even higher. He's on pace for 2,218 yards, which obviously would be a single season record. And it's just kind of quietly happy. We take this guy for granted, don't we? Yeah, we Why do it. we take Derrick Henry for granted? This is like a Michael Jordan-type athlete at the running back position that you should be saying, I need to be able to say that I saw Derrick Henry play football in my lifetime. That's what he is right now, and we are... And and I know it's you know it's a quarterback era, and it's more exciting when they throw the ball. We, we, what Derrick Henry's doing... Is extremely rare, and for him to do it as many years as he has in today's NFL
3: is unprecedented. And, and it just doesn't look like he's going to be that guy that just falls off a cliff. So that's that's where I think it's more impressive too. It looks like he's going to be able to sustain this, maybe not to this level, but it doesn't look like you're like, oh man, you know, uh, it's it's you know, what is it? Year six for him? Year six, or you're just like. Oh, uh, well, looks like he's lost a, He's lost a step. I could see it this year. Well, I don't think we're anywhere near that. I don't. I mean, we've seen some runs this year all year long where we've gone, wow. You know, I do think he's almost like bored us with his consistent greatness and the fact that we're just like, oh, well, it's Tennessee. They're going to bludgeon you with Derrick Henry, and that's just the way it is. And, you know, deal with it a, a little bit that way. I don't know. You're right. I don't feel like he gets necessarily the respect or national attention maybe that we've seen Ladanian Tomlinson get or Adrian Peterson get. Those type of players where you go, well, Derrick Henry's in that class. That's the way he is. I don't know the reason for that. I don't. But, man, he's the key to the, to the franchise. He is what makes them go. And that's where the game was crazy, Mike. And that's where Buffalo's going to kick themselves in the butt. You know, they dominated the game early. And since they had to settle for field goals – what does it do? It allows Tennessee to hang in there with the run game. Hey, we don't need to panic. We're only down 6 nothing. Even though we're getting our ass kicked, we're only down 6 nothing. And if the big truck at 20, number 22 breaks one big run, we're back in this thing. And that's exactly what happened. And that's where uh, Buffalo will kick themselves in the butt. But that's where Vrabel and Tennessee are great because they stay patient and they know situational football and did a great job that way.
1: And that's a prime example of the break between analytics and human reality, because when he has a play like that, it is the equivalent of busting the soul, just a piece of the soul yeah, of the Bills yeah. and making them say, oh, crap. Oh, boy, here we go. And you can't shake that mentality. And you still have to go out and try to tackle that guy. He, he's phenomenal. And he only has 60, only only 6,643 rushing yards because he wasn't used much his first two seasons in the NFL. They eased him into his career. Yes, he, he didn't did. have a lot of carries. 110 as a rookie, 176 in his second season. And then since then, 215, 303, 378 last year, 162 so far this season in six games. And, you know... One of the knocks on Derrick Henry coming out Alabama was, like every other Alabama running back, you get the crap beat out of you yeah. by Nick Saban. Right. He had 46 carries in one game yeah. at Alabama. Right, So the the tread is getting thin on the tires. No, it's not. No, it's not. And no. maybe that respite those first couple years, whoever made the strategic decision, because it was DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry, remember? Yeah. And, and it became a little more Henry and a little less Murray. That may have been the thing that that put the tread back on the tires and has allowed Derrick Henry to play the way he
3: has the past four years. I, I I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. And you know the other thing is too, you, you know you don't see him. He does a great job of delivering a few, you know, car crash hits. But he's not a. He doesn't. He does a good job between the tackles sometimes of, kind of just oh I'm I'm upright. I didn't have to lower my shoulder and get crushed and. Okay, oh man, I smashed it in there for three or four yards, but nobody really crushed me. I have just found a nice way to kind of get in there, fit in there, fell down for a few extra yards, and that was it. He, he, does, he has a way where he's slippery that way to where it's rare when you see people really square him up and crush him. But it's just rare that he could be a sledgehammer of three yards, four yards, three yards, four yards. And then it can just be 76 or rip off a 12-yard touchdown run and hit the hole as fast as anybody you've seen. That's where he's special, and that's where he changes the game and changes how defenses play. You have to almost go all in once you start to see him get rolling because if you try to play a little bit of like both worlds of, oh, we're going to play a little past defense, and hopefully they don't call the run play here, he's just too dangerous to where, like we saw, he gets to the second level and it's over. And uh, it's, it's just it's phenomenal to watch. It, it really is. And he's rolling right now. He he was rolling late in the 2019 season
1: and in the postseason, running all over everyone. Yeah. I remember they came up against the Chiefs, and the Chiefs were able to bottle him up just enough, and they didn't have the passing game to compliment him. And that's going to be the challenge. At some point, the Titans are going to come up against a defense that will slow him down. Yeah. They need to be able to pivot to Ryan Tannehill, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, and take advantage of what will be there when a defense is overcommitted to stopping Derrick Henry. So I feel a lot differently about the Titans after last night because I thought they were going to lose, and they're going to be 3-3, three and three, and the, the Colts aren't that far behind, and the Colts could make it interesting now that they have gotten through their chronic injury issues for the most part. They still need Quentin Nelson back. But uh, the Titans, uh, oof, they look like the class of that – division and they're starting to look like one of the teams that need to be taken seriously and they do they got the same record as the as the bills right now and they hold the tiebreaker technically so we need to take them seriously and one last point on the bills yeah pete noted that they had that devastating hail murray loss right before their later by last year right and then you know they got to the afc championship afterward the bills come out of this with the dolphins at the jaguars at the jets so four and two should become 7-2 and two fairly quickly. Colts, 8-2. and two. At the Saints, who knows? That's a Thursday night game, Week 12. That should be a lot of fun. Patriots, Week 13. And then at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Week 14. So they've got some winnable games. But, you know, you lose a game like that, and you're looking at the Ravens with one loss, um, who really are right now. I, yeah. The Ravens may be the class of the conference right now. They're the only one lost team, unless I'm missing somebody. Am I missing no, somebody? Not.
3: No, it's hard to argue that, Mike. It is. I mean, it, it is, especially with the way they won this past weekend and just kicking the crap out of the Chargers. I don't. I don't. I don't think you're wrong in saying that. It's hard to fight it. Yeah, they won some games that were some nail-biters. So what? They won them. They're five and one, and you're right. I, I don't. I don't think you can argue that right now. I don't. The way Lamar's playing, the defense is right, righted itself in Baltimore. You know, again. I think what we're seeing is the AFC has got a lot of good, and they're beating each other up a little bit, and we're going to see where this plays out, certainly, and Baltimore's got a lot of tough games, but I, I don't think you're wrong by saying they're the class of the, the conference right now.
1: Everyone out there, and I just thought of this because I haven't gone back. I was working on the power rankings last night in the first half, and I stopped because got to see the outcome of this game before we lock them in for this week. There have been plenty of folks out there who have been extremely triggered by the fact that the Ravens have been at number four for the past few weeks. Yeah. It well, may be a spot higher this week. Well, I I, they may, I don't know how far the Bills are going to fall after losing this one. But Bills got two losses, Ravens got one, folks. I'll, it's going to be going to be hard, going to be hard to keep the Bills in front
3: of the Ravens. Oh, I, I I hear you there. It's it's hard to do that, no doubt about it. Hey, listen, the one thing that I I think I've come to a little bit here. As much as I thought the AFC and how awesome it is, and man, it's got a lot of great quarterbacks and everything there. I actually, I mean, as we go through here, and now we're six weeks in, I think the NFC has a few more complete football teams as compared to the AFC. When I look at the top of the AFC, I got questions about certain areas with a lot of these football teams. With Tampa, I really don't have any questions. With Green Bay, I don't really have any questions. The Rams, I don't really have questions. The Cardinals at a point where I did have questions, but I don't anymore. But I can question the Chargers defense. And still the Tennessee's defense with the secondary missing. You know, let's not forget, Vrabel knows my, Brian Dayball's offensive system too. So the defense has been shaky. We'll see how that looks going forward. But I think there's question marks with some of the AFC teams. Where the NFC teams, I look at them and go, damn, there's three or four teams that I go, I don't have much questions about. They're damn good, and they're going to be in this to the end. There is one
1: team in the NFC that has a major question mark currently – And that would be the Dallas Cowboys. And the question mark relates to the availability of quarterback Dak Prescott when they emerge from their bye and host or travel to Minnesota to play the Vikings on Sunday Night Football in week eight. We will address where things stand with Dak Prescott and his freshly injured calf when PFT Live continues right after this. There he is. Kentucky Fried Florio. He's not laying down. He's not laying down. There's the Kentucky Fried Idiot. And
0: 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.
1: The South Dakota Stories, Volume 5. South Dakota seemed like the perfect place to unplug. But I ended up connecting to the world around me. A world where each sunset was painted. Where I felt adventures pulse with every step. And where cold water trickling, pine swaying, and grunting bison became my favorite soundtracks.
3: I just wish I didn't have to leave. There's so much South Dakota, so little time.
2: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
1: Okay, Dak Prescott had the injured calf muscle on the final play of the overtime thriller against the New England Patriots. We'll talk more about that game in a moment. But the bigger story for the Cowboys, that calf muscle, assisted to the locker room, defiant. And look, I get it. I don't expect Dak Prescott to stand up at the podium after a win like that and say, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to play. He's got none of that Ben Roethlisberger drama in him. His attitude is, the arrow's pointing up, the glass is half full, I'm fine. I promise you I'll be fine. That's how clear he was. And then he's in a walking boot, hobbling to his car after the Cowboys got back to Dallas following the game, and he's clearly not fine. You're not in a walking boot as a fashion statement. You're in a walking boot because there's something going on there. The MRI yesterday, and we didn't hear much about it throughout the course of the day, which I think is a little ominous, but there he is courtesy of WFAA, with the walking boot. There he is with Zeke. It was Zeke who helped him to the locker room as the calf muscle gave out after he injured it. The MRI shows a strain. Well, without knowing the degree of the strain, we don't know how much time he's going to miss. The Cowboys are optimistic he'll be back for Week 8. And when do we ever hear, Chris, any NFL team or player say they're pessimistic about anything. Never, no they're no. never optimistic no. every surgery is success. every rehab is ahead of schedule and we're always optimistic about everything because you have to be to survive you can't allow negative thoughts into your brain or the whole house of cards falls apart so and i'm not trying to be debbie downer i'm trying to be realistic based on what i've seen in the past and if you're a cowboys fan or if you have Dak Prescott on your fantasy team, yeah. let's not assume that that everything is going to be okay in 12 days when the Cowboys face the Vikings on Sunday
3: Night Football. No, I'm, I mean, I am I hear you, especially with that injury. I mean, we, we know that. That's an injury that's a pain in the butt. And and for a quarterback, it's a big pain in the butt. It is. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, of course, hopping around the, the pocket and putting pressure on that calf muscle is, you know, a real thing. And then, of course... It doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter what, you know, position you're in or anything like that. I mean, it's gonna be affected. You know, I, I watched the game on, on film yesterday, Mike, and tried to like the, the coach's film cuts off where I think where he's backpedaling and celebrating, he puts his foot in the ground to now run forward to celebrate, and that's where it cut off. So you can't see, but I'm guessing that's where it happened because you can't really see you can't really see a limp. Uh, on that other than that but this is this is going to be a tough injury there's, there's no doubt about it so you see there he throws the ball he backpedals and then he planted his foot in the ground to run up but then like the camera cut off and I couldn't really see what his stride looked like after that but that's a concerning injury that is that's an annoying injury anybody that's had that injury as an athlete is nagging and of course it's a big part of what you do as a quarterback with the drop and pushing up in the pocket and everything like that it needs time to
1: heal. It needs an opportunity to heal. No different than the hamstring. And what did we see with Christian McCaffrey last week? Yeah. As he was working his way back right. from his hamstring strain. See, yeah. Oh, it's just a strain. Strain. It's funny. Strain gets thrown around like, oh, it's just a strain. Like, go go, take a nap and have a couple Advil and you'll be fine. <laughs> it, he, 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 he clearly aggravated it because he ended up on injured reserve. Yeah. So you've got to be very careful. And I've had both. I've had the calf and I've had the hamstring. And... If you don't rest and let it heal, it never gets better. There's a certain point where you just have to accept it, yep. and it's hard to do when you're having the best season of your career. It's your redemption season after your broken ankle. Are you kidding me? You're proving why you're worth forty million a year. You're proving that maybe you're worth more than forty million a year. And then this happens. It's hard to process in real time, and uh, you know, I, I I just I choose to be realistic. Uh, and the Cowboys choose to be optimistic, and we'll see which istic prevails. Let's hear from Mike McCarthy. We do have the sound of McCarthy from yesterday, updating the media on the Dak Prescott injury.
3: Dak had an MRI this morning. Um, he has a calf uh, strain. Um, we're going to take this week for rest and, and uh, rehab. Um, then we're going to reevaluate Monday. Um, and just the words from. We're from Jim. We're, we're optimistic for Minnesota, but you know I think like any calf strain, especially this, this early, you know, it's close to the injury, there is um, you know variance in timelines. So, but uh, we're optimistic for Minnesota. This is this right?
1: I'm glad we showed that because as McCarthy delivers it, and I always look for these little tells, but he has a calf um, strain, calf um, strain, and, and hey. Oh, that doesn't mean anything. Bull crap! It doesn't mean anything because plenty of times it does mean something. You look straight to the camera and say he has a calf strain. It's a calf strain. That sends one message. If you say uh, he has a calf um, strain, it sends a different message. Chris sends a very different message. And why would they be quiet about it? Because if it is something that's going to be multi- multiple weeks, and you want to try to maybe trade for a backup or sign a guy who's out there, you want to have leverage. When you have the conversation, so when you're talking to the agent for a free agent or the other team, you don't want them to sense that you really need this guy. You really need somebody behind Cooper Rush and Will Greer or instead of Cooper Rush and Will Greer. So that's why teams would be circumspect at this point because there may be a move they're trying to make in the event that it's not something that is just an um,
3: strain. Yeah. Well, no, you're right. I mean, they're, they're, you're right. They're trying to be optimistic. They're trying to be optimistic for their football team too. So they don't panic because they know how important Dak Prescott is. So that, I mean, there's a lot of things at play here, but I, I do think it's something to watch for. There's no doubt about that. And you know, again, like, can we show the the video? It was the right, the right calf, right? That's what we showed on the video there. I just wanted to make sure I got it right. Sorry. It, I mean, the the thing I would worry about a little too. I mean that that is the leg that you know. Of course, the ankle he broke. Yep. You know, so there is that. And then the added thing to that too is, you know, your back leg for a right-handed quarterback, a little more concerning than the left leg certainly because yeah, that's the one you're driving up in the pocket with. That's the one you're going to be pushing off with and rotating to throw the football that way. So we'll see. But it it's this is a touchy injury, and you're right. Nothing really fixes it other than rest. It takes a minute. Uh, so we'll see where it goes. Uh, but he played awesome on Sunday. I know that. Michael Gallup, Cowboys receiver. Yeah. Calf strained
1: during camp. Right. Still we haven't, haven't seen him. seen him. Right. We haven't seen him. So I, I just want – I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I'm trying to push back against the idea that everything is fine. It's not necessarily fine. We will know in time whether it's fine. They have no reason at this point. They don't have any obligation to give us an injury report – for eight more days so we'll see how it goes and my guess is the Dak Prescott has been instructed to get his rear end onto a couch play uh, Xbox PlayStation mess with your phone do anything other than walk around or move around other than to get treatment on that calf Chris so uh you know I hope he's able to play yeah. he's having a great season oh ca- and here, here's another reason but but you know what here's a reason to be very careful about this. We were talking about this yesterday. The Cowboys are much better than we thought they would be, but you mentioned the teams that you have no questions about in the NFC. The Packers, the Buccaneers, the Cardinals slash Rams. Do we really think the Cowboys are going to be higher than four on the playoff tree in the NFC when you consider the presence of the Packers, the Bucks, the Cardinals, and the Rams? And I think the Cowboys only play the Cardinals out of all those teams. So I think four is kind of where they're locked in right now. So if you're locked in at four as a practical matter, it's more important to have Dak 100% when January rolls around than to play this game of he's got a setback, he's got a setback, we're going to finally put him on injured reserve like Christian McCaffrey. The biggest challenge is going to be to get him to just stop like they finally managed to do during camp when he had the shoulder thing and they finally got him to just stop. They've got to get him to just stop and let it heal because it's far more important to be 100% in January than it is now.
3: Yeah, no no doubt. I mean, I, I hear that. Um, but, yeah, they're going to be in the top four seeds, so that's for sure, because they're going to win the division in the NFC East. And I'm not putting them out of anything. Yeah, because I, I don't have any questions about them. You know, one of the things I said on like the pot my podcast yesterday is like, yeah, okay, their defense is not great. It doesn't matter. Their offense is elite. It's elite of the eliteness, okay? It's awesome. It's almost borderline unstoppable. It is. And this day of twenty twenty one, like defense wins championships. Bull crap. They don't. Sorry. That that crap has changed. Get over that like old mantra of whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. Yeah. Do you not remember the most recent Super Bowl? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. They won it that year. I remember the one the year before that, where the better offense beat the all-time great defense in the Chiefs, though, with an average defense. And all the years with even the Patriots, where it was middle of the road yards per allowed defenses, and they won it. So I mean, hey, yeah, we'd like great defenses. I get that. But you don't have to have a great defense to win the Super Bowl in this day and era age. That's what I—that's what I'm saying. I mean, when when Bill Belichick during the telecast goes, oh, he tells them, and I'm doing his voice, but he obviously told them if we don't win first down, they're going to score 45 on us. I mean, what that—that that just tells you he's he's going. Wait, if we don't slow them down, and they they did slow them down on first down, and they still almost scored 45. I mean, so that's where th- they're. That's where they're special that way. And yet their defense is not, you know, the 1993 Dallas Cowboys defense, but it's good, it plays hard, it creates a little chaos and turnovers. And with that offense, you know, they force you to play a game again that you don't want to play because it's hard to match up with them. 567 yards allowed right. by the Patriots' right. defense on
1: Sunday, the most by the Patriots and they played in good. single game since 1986. That's <laughs> crazy. Uh, well, and and – I think what made the Cowboys win even more impressive is the fact that it felt like they didn't want to win the game. They let the Patriots hang around and hang around. And that's the kind of game that Bill Belichick usually will take. Yes. Uh, Somebody asked me over the weekend, you know, how how do you reconcile the two coaches here? It's like, well, Bill Belichick versus Mike McCarthy. If it's a close game, you give a clear edge to the Patriots. They'll find a way to win it. I think the fact that the Cowboys found a way to win it when it looked like, it was the perfect kind of Bill Belichick go steal one game. That makes it even more impressive for the Cowboys. And that makes it even more depressing that they now have to deal with this injury issue because they've finally returned, right? America's team 1.0 had beaten America's team 2.0 and kind of reclaimed the crown in a big spot, a big game. They'd never beaten Belichick. And this is great. Fire off the confetti. Let's go celebrate. We're on our way. Wait, Dak's walking funny. What the, whoa, oh no. You know, so yeah, I, I think you. there's a lot of that. There's yeah. a lot of that denial that's kind of floating around because they want to be able to celebrate their moment.
3: Yeah, I, I, I get that. I get that. And then I'm, I, I don't. I hope he's okay because I don't want to see them at less than either. It's kind of fun right now watching what they can do. It, it's, it's rare. It's rare that you get an offense that really is like you could go, it's elite in both areas where you can just go, wait, their run game is elite. And you have to change what you do there. And New England hung in there in the first half of the football game. Their big guys played pretty well. But of course, you know, it was one of those games. Again, the Cowboys dominated the game. You look it was one of those games where you looked at the score and you went, wait, the Patriots are winning 14 to 10? You know, they're getting kind of dominated here. You know, but they hung in there, they were doing okay. But it's just it's it's impossible to stop Dallas. They stay patient with the run. They don't get away from it and they continue to bludgeon you that way. And I mean they were the Patriots were calling every defense underneath the sun. They changed it all up. You couldn't get a a good feel for it. But it just doesn't matter with how Dallas can protect, can run the ball and the way they can spread you out and throw the football. They can do everything. And the one thing Mike I'll just say with the breakdown of the game a little bit. You know the, the Patriots got it all on defense except one thing what we're seeing right here in every clip. Didn't matter if they bring four or five. For the most part, they couldn't get close to Dak Prescott. And that's really what was, to me, one of the things I would boil it down, if you let me look at it, like to boil it down to break it down to one thing. Yeah, they just they, they, they don't have a great pass rusher, and therefore they have to blitz a little too much to kind of get after a good quarterback like Dak Prescott. And it's just it's too hard to win that way, and that's why he threw for 445 yards. Before the moment completely
1: evaporates, I may have to go back and check the tape. There is a chance that you said "impossible." That could at some point. Uh, there is that would un-possible. not
3: be impossible for that to happen. <laughs>
1: Me fail English? That's impossible. <laughs> By the way, since we're in the neighborhood, and I yeah. know we have real football to talk about, I got many emails right. on Sunday. Yeah, many emails. Yeah, Big Phil. Right, Big Phil. Right, Simplicated came out of Big Phil's Simplicated. mouth.
3: Simplicated. See, so there you go. So it's, it's a Simsism by the, the, the head chief yeah. of the, the Simsisms right there. Simplicated the apple <laughs> rolls right down the trunk of the tree I and love Becomes it. embedded in the roots. That's awesome. I make sure we need to find that clip and uh, I need to make fun of him for that. That's a really good one. I'm telling you,
1: I'm telling you 10 different emails like that, that big Phil said, Simplicated. Uh, I like and it. actually you and can I know throw what it means. An extra M there. Yeah, you, know? you can you can there. cuz you cuz of Sims there's Sims a way like, to market it's this. Sims located, Simplicated. Okay. <laughs> Yes. Definitely. All right. Um anything more to say about that game? Uh um, Oh, how about the hit Mac Jones took? Welcome to the NFL. I I'm telling you, I thought of you when you took the hit back in 2006. Right. Cuz I'm thinking for all I know that guy's spleen just exploded. <laughs> Uh, the way he got hit by Randy Gregory, I'm serious. Yeah, no, that you, was brutal. He brutal. got driven directly into the ground with the full weight yeah. on top of him. And, well, where's the flag? I guess if he'd been around for 10 years, he would have gotten the flag. Because at a certain point, if you're around long enough, if they just breathe on you, you get a flag.
3: He got drilled, Chris. He drilled. got drilled. He got drilled. There's no doubt. That was a big moment in the game. And, you know, again, if anybody can remember right there, that game right there, I want to say, so wait, it was 14-7. to 7. It was a pretty good drive. Uh maybe it was 14 to 10. I could be wrong, Pete. You might have to back me up on that. I think it was 14 to 7 though. I'm pretty sure. They got a chance to go up another score. They scored a touchdown on the play before and it got called back. And then Randy Randy Gregory beat the right tackle badly. Strip sack fumble. Dallas went down. And I believe that's the drive where Dak Prescott threw the interception, but But New England had a chance there to go up two scores and certainly put Dallas in an uncomfortable position. Randy Gregory playing really good. My last thing I would say, uh, just interesting about the game, Cowboys love to play man-to-man, right? First two drives of the game were a lot of man-to-man and even a little into that third drive I'm talking about right there with a the strip-sack fumble. It was bing-bong-boom, bing-bing-bing. They went right down the field and had a bunch of plays that screwed over that man-to-man coverage. Dallas said, whoa, the hell with that, and they played a lot more zone in the second half and changed it up that way. That way. And that's how they kind of slowed down the attack, at least uh, of what they were getting from that New England offense in the first half.
1: One thing that is becoming very compelling uh, as part of this 2021 narrative the performance of Trayvon Diggs Man. first player in the Super Bowl era to have seven or more interceptions and multiple pick sixes in the first six games of his team season he had going into last night more touchdowns than his brother Stefan I can't remember whether or not Stefan had any last night he did imagine, he had one frankly he tied it he had one yeah, so they're, they're tied, tied now yep. so so they're, they're back at they're back at two each uh you know you've got the good and you've got the bad though Right after the pick six, what happens? Yeah. He gets he gets torched. Uh, he got twisted around. The safety didn't help matters by no, going for not. the hit instead right. of going for the ball and getting neither. But, but, you know, the key with Trevon Diggs, we were talking about this yesterday morning, he's got incredible ball skills. Exactly. And usually those guys are receivers. So the ball's in the air and he goes and gets it. Instead of trying to make the hit, he he becomes a magnet for the football like a receiver would be. No, no and, and I think that that, that, that that is
3: what makes him special. This, this play right here, like, again, can we rewind that right there? You know, he's not in a bad spot. It's a double move. I mean, they're protected. It, this is a horrible play by the safety. I mean, Mac Jones shouldn't throw this. This should be an interception. There's no other way around it, let alone – he should knock his head off, I mean, at the very least. And I mean that respectfully. You know what I mean by that. But look, I mean, Trevon Diggs, he's slowing down at one point. He goes to undercut. He slows down because he's like, wait, I don't want to get killed here by DeMonte Kazee as he crushes the receiver, like almost to like get out of the way of that. And then he throws his hand up like, what well, what the hell are you doing? I can't believe that. Why weren't you in front of me? I, mean, I that, see. You. Yes. You
1: yes. know what I mean?
3: That was, a, that was a bad play altogether. So, hey, Diggs is – Diggs is not, you know, Revis or Deion Sanders yet as far as lockdown corners, but he's very good. There's no doubt about that. He gives up a few plays here and there, but you better be like it's buyer beware because like you said, the ball skills are, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think. Him and JC Jackson probably got the two best ball skills in all of football right now when you just talk about corners and their ability to play the pass in the air. It's pretty special. When you are a true shutdown
1: corner, you don't get the interceptions because they don't throw it your exactly, way. At what right. point will they right. stop throwing
3: his way? Is yeah. that coming? Are they going to stop throwing it his way? I don't think it's there yet. I don't think it's there yet because, he, you know, he, he, he's, re, he's got great size. His top-end speed, I don't know if it's, like, real, real special. You know, I think he's going to be one of those guys that's going to have an opportunity to get interceptions because people are going to go, wait, you know, I think our guy can beat him and get open on out routes and comebacks. And quarterbacks are going to feel comfortable with that, but he's going to get some chances, and he's not afraid to take a chance every now and then. And like we see, if he gets two hands close to it, he's catching it. All right, uh, we talked about the Cowboys'
1: injury issues. The Browns have more, Whoa. and they don't have a bye this week. They Whoa. play Thursday night against the Broncos. we you up to speed on that when PFT Live continues right after this.
3: On the injury front, uh, Kareem has a calf injury. Uh, that's significant, so he'll miss some time. Uh, that's in the weeks. And then Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa has an ankle injury. That's also significant, so he'll miss some time. That's that's also in the weeks. Um, and then Baker with the shoulder. We'll just gather more information over the next couple of days on him as well as Odell with the shoulder. Uh, just going to gather yeah, there's some information, see how those guys do over the next 48 hours, call it.
1: That is a depressing injury update from Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski. Kareem Hunt gone. Nick Chubb already missed Sunday's game with a calf injury of his own, and it was obvious that Kareem Hunt was not going to be back anytime soon. The way he went down on contact, um, I'm surprised it wasn't more serious than just a matter of weeks. It looked like it was going to be months. And then you've got Jeremiah Koromoa, who's going to be gone for weeks with the ankle injury. The big question, though, is Baker Mayfield. He's getting a second opinion after getting an MRI on the non-throwing shoulder. And you know how second opinions go. You get them not to confirm
3: the first no. one. You get them because you, you didn't like, like the, the first, first one. one, right? Yes, that's And scary. the first
1: one may may have been, "Hey Baker, it's time to shut it down and get this thing
3: surgically repaired." Well, you know, we know the injury. I mean, Baker's tough. I don't ever second guess him that that way, and there's no doubt. He's playing with a banged-up left shoulder. And what I would worry about, it, just the way that looked, like, I, I mean, man, was he really stretched out and put in a tough position there. Ugh. To where you would think it, yeah, it could have possibly torn more of that labrum. You know, maybe it dislocated, you know, quickly. I mean, when you look at it from this angle, and look at how his arm and shoulder were. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> I mean, that's that's brutal that way there. That really is. So, that's uh, that's what's scary, certainly, and the good thing is. They got Case Keenum. Case Keenum is, you know, in my opinion, one of the better quarter drop uh, backup quarterbacks in all of football. But man, uh, I'm going to be interested to see how this plays out with Baker and that left shoulder because I would think it is fairly serious. And and you know, I don't know how much wearing that harness affected his ability
1: to get his arm down and not have that compromising spot there. But he's been wearing a harness after having the dislocation back in week two. Reminder too kids if you play quarterback don't go make a tackle after a turnover don't do it remember we had the conversation about Brian Flores saying it was great that Tua went and stuck his head in there after he threw an interception in the preseason no no don't do it protect yourself get out of the fray no one is gonna call you chicken because you preserved your health if Baker Mayfield doesn't do that back in week two against the Texans he's not dealing with these issues so I'm, I'm concerned that he was advised to have surgery and shut it down maybe for the rest of the season. This is a guy who's trying to prove that he deserves a major second contract. I don't know what substantive offers the Browns made, but clearly they don't have anything done. And now he's in a position where either he's going to play impaired yeah, or he's not going to be playing at all. And there's a certain point where the performance with the impairment, we talk about this all the time, the starter below
3: 100 at what point yeah. Is that worse than just going with the backup at 100? Yeah, that, that's what they're going to have to gauge. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I mean, again, too, I think with the circumstances you're laying out, of course, the contract and, and everything there, yeah, he's going to want to play. He's not going to want to give anybody else a chance with this football team to go in and succeed and maybe look make him look bad either. That's got to be in the back of his head. And, of course, their season's hanging in the balance. I mean, it's hanging in the balance. The Browns are 3-3. Three and three. I mean, I don't know what else to say. You know they're they're in a big spot here. The Browns are three and three. i I actually can't believe I'm saying that. The Browns have one of the five best rosters in football for them to be three and three is is concerning. I don't know what is any other way to say it. And it's hard to get a feel for like what they really are. Yeah, they feasted on the week their defense. Man, I mean, they feasted on the week, you know, with the Houston Texans and the Bears. And then, okay, the Minnesota Vikings is a good offense, but there's a lot of common knowledge there of how that team plays because of Stefanski. So, you know, the offense has had moments of being inconsistent. Baker's been a little bit all over the place. The defense, I mean, when they play a good offense, they just get absolutely shredded. And there's no excuse for it. There's not. There's talent everywhere across the board. So uh, it is a big time, big moment for Cleveland. You know, there's expectations there this year. I know I had them, and they, they, they're they real because they're good. There's no other excuse. They're messing this up right now, and that's, that's where it's it's big this week defense
1: gave up 13 total points in two games against the bears and the Vikings 84 points the past two games against the Chargers and the Cardinals short week to get ready for the Broncos who are reeling after starting three and oh they're now three and three but after the Broncos Chris it's the Steelers and the Bengals and here are the Steelers at three and three imagine that from the Browns at three and one to the Steelers at one and three to both at three and three how quickly things change and yeah, the Browns are in a really tough spot now, and uh, defensively, offensively. And if Case Ke- if Case Keenum comes in, now I know Odell Beckham Jr. has got a shoulder injury too. If he comes in and he starts throwing it all over the place and he starts throwing it to that, Odell the, Beckham That's Jr., what I'm saying, yeah. Uh, you know, you are going to have some chatter in Cleveland. This is, this, and you are going to have yeah. some people who wonder, hey, I, I, look, I love Baker Mayfield's aggressiveness, his tenacity, the moxie, the, but... But, you know, the spirit is willing, and sometimes the flesh is not as talented as other quarterbacks in the league. And I don't know where I would put Baker Mayfield right now. Not top five, not top ten. And he becomes the potential cautionary tale, the Carson Wentz, Jared Goff
3: type figure, where if you pay him in a couple of years, you may regret it, Chris. Well, it it is a a little bit that way. I mean, yeah, it's hard to get a total feel for what he is. You know, it starts off the year kind of good, and then goes into a little bit of a tailspin, really, to where it's not been good football. You know, over the last few weeks, let alone like, you know, some some careless turnovers in the game the, the other day. You know, they they went down fourteen nothing, and it's a fumble, it's an interception, and then of course the fumble we show later on. You know, the defense held 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 the Cardinals to some field goals and let them hang around the football game, um, but. The play is a little bit all over the place right now. And I think that's what's concerning. And, yeah, with that team and the talent they have, you know, I would be worried if I'm him and I'm going, wait, Case Keenum's going to go in and I know he's pretty good and he understands this offense has been successful. So that's going to play the part of, like, what you talked about earlier in the segment, Mike, that, yeah, he, he's going to want to play. He's going to do everything he can. Because he's not going to want to give Case Keenum a chance. Not in this year. Not with them being 3-3. Three and three, Not with that talent they have on that football team. So, you know, it, it, I think it's fair to question Baker Mayfield right now. As much as I respect him, it's just, man, every time I think, okay, he's got it, look, he's playing good, he goes into a funk of bad decisions and inaccurate throws, and that's a little bit where we are right now. And with that team, the way it's built,
1: it's not quarterback-driven, and if your quarterback isn't driving it, there has to be fair questions asked. And I know he doesn't like that. That's part of his appeal. He gets salty. Remember a couple of years ago? It's like every week he had some sort of a little yeah. pissy comment to a reporter, and he's kind of evolved past that. But, I, you know, hey, not every guy who's taken first overall is going to become a perennial pro bowler and all-pro and potential Hall of Famer, and it's entirely possible that uh, of those guys, the, the the five quarterbacks taken in the first round in 2018. You know, we're trying to figure out where sam darnold fits uh, we're trying to figure out where baker mayfield fits too we know the bottom is josh rosen the top is josh allen slash lamar jackson right take your pick yeah the other two you know it could be ultimately a 40 percent success rate by the time it's all said and done all right we should take a break my god we've only gotten three segments done that means we have three to go or four to go i think we have four. To, oh boy i better shut up and take a break or i'll be on the hot seat like some of the coaches that we're about to discuss next here on pft live